0: And I said, no, thank you, but thanks for the offer. And then she looked like I hurt her feelings and I've been feeling bad about that all day. But, you know, that's also super gross to take a drink from some little kid's juice box
1: Hello, and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster, whose article series takes you from 60 to 100. It's Matt Morgan.
2: I was trying to convince my girlfriend that I wanted a segue for my birthday, but every time I brought it up, she changed the subject.
1: That does sound like a difficult relationship. Speaking of segues, next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach.
0: I, I think Matt's a hit rate on these dad jokes is is statistically decreasing.
1: <laughs> that one that's, was that's less troubling than if it was increasing. <laughs> And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at EDHREC.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. What is our topic this week, fellas?
0: We're talking statistics and data trends in the EDHREC database.
1: Yeah, Ever since we instituted the two-year maximum data length cutoff on the website, there have been some really interesting revelations when comparing that new data just within the past two years to the old data from all time, and we want to go over any differences and any trends that we can spy from among those. This might be a little bit lengthier of a show. We might need to split it into two shows to cover all of it, but we tried to get as much information as we could from Don and his workers on the website to just see what revelations we can find out about it. You guys ready? Yeah, I am ready. Fantastic. Before we get officially started, though, I have to ask if you guys have played any fun games, any new cards that you've gotten recently, what's going on in your commander lives?
2: I played more games of Commander this past weekend than I have probably since Kansas City. Uh, So my best friend, Andrew Cummings, fellow EDH rec writer, he came to town for the weekend and all we did pretty much Thursday, Friday, not Saturday, but Sunday again, was play Commander and it was awesome.
1: I do love it when you can have those types of weekends where it's just games, games, games the entire time. Those are definitely the best. Any special highlights?
2: Um, Aria Flame is nuts, guys. So I played an hour-and-a-half game where I sat down. The, so the, the the game didn't get off to a very good start because we sat down. Everybody started flipping over their commanders in the pod. There was a Nekusar deck. There was a Tasigur deck. And there was a Tatiova deck. And I'm like, this Ooh. is not going to go well.
1: That's going to
2: be I, long, yeah. And so, well, yeah. So I, I pulled out my Niv-Mizzet deck because I, I even said, like, I have no decks that can keep up in power level if this is what we're doing. So this is what I kind of have to play to play. It was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I found out very quickly, though, that nobody was playing the, the typical uh, Tatiova deck, for example. It was, it was good, but it wasn't overpowered. It, it, the Nekusar deck was good, but it wasn't crazy wheels all over the place. And the Tasigur deck, it had a combo in there, but the player wasn't the most dedicated to any given strategy. So all the decks were all over the place. Um, so it, it was nice not having that type of game. Uh, we still played a very interesting game. It was back and forth, but Aria Flame cleaned house, everybody, and it was so fun.
1: And that's the really fun enchantment, the red enchantment, that gives your opponent's life, which is yes. crazy, but then as you play more spells, it accumulates counters, and then it deals damage equal to those. That's something that I've been using in my feather deck as a sort of storm-ish win condition as well, since she accumulates all of those spells. I can see it doing a ton of work in a niv deck with oh, all yeah. of those cantrip spells, too.
2: Yeah, so it—it it, it, everybody had a chance to play all sorts of games. It was... It was very interactive. There was a lot of removal. Uh, at one point in time, somebody tried to overload a rift, which I tried to counter, which he tried to counter back, which I then tried to counter again. with. So then somebody else, the Nekusar player got involved and he tried to negate my counter spell, which I force of willed. And then, oh he, then he in turn flipped up a will bender to win the counter war. And it was so ridiculous. Um, I ended up winning that game because I finally drew into my the Isochron Scepter combo, where I get to untap all my permanents and cast spells with uh, Dramatic Reversal and Aria mm. flame out. So that was kind of fun. But it was it was a very very fun game. Lots of action. Uh, there there were so many plays where everybody just kind of looked at the table like, what what is going on? Uh, but it was it was a ton of fun. But I, I met some really cool people. We uh, we checked out a new shop here in Colorado Springs. That was really fun too. Um, it was just a, a great weekend with just crazy fun games.
1: That's really awesome. I can't remember the last time that I've seen a stack stacked that high. That sounds like a crazy interaction. I, I,
2: think, I think the stack ended up being seven effects deep, and it was just counterspells.
1: Craziness. Dana, any fun stuff on your end to report? I did have one interesting game last night. Um,
0: I was playing my Vela deck, and I don't remember who the fourth opponent was, but one of them was Angry Omnath, and one of them was a uh, Raikou of Two Reflections deck. And the fourth person got eliminated, so it's on to three of us. And I ate, I think, three different overloaded Vandal Blasts over the course of the game in an artifact deck. So I I just got hammered multiple times. And it came down to the end where the Omnath player dropped an Avenger of Zendikar and then did, like, you know, land, 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 like, had like three or four different lands fall (laughs) triggers that turn. To make the, you know, 14 tokens in play into like four fours or five fives, but didn't have a haste enabler. Passed a turn to Raikou player who copied the Avenger Zendikar or cloned it. Yeah. And then managed to do like 3 or 4 or 5 landfall triggers. So I'm sitting there staring at both of these two like, disgusting board states, and I'm definitely... I literally had nothing in play at that time. And, like, one card in hand, and I'm already counting my board wipes. I'm like, okay, my board wipes are all gone. They're in my graveyard. I'm like, well, I just... I clearly can't win this game. And I top-decked Writer Replication.
1: <laughs> Jeez.
0: with With Angry Omnath out. So, so if I kick her... And I, and I had... Ex- literally, I had exactly nine mana. Because I had lost all my mana rocks. I had lost my, like, Artifact Lands. I had literally exactly enough mana to kick right a rep onto Omnath.
1: Oh, and then he legend rules himself out, and then all of the elementals leaving deal damage?
0: And they each see each other. Oh, you're so, right. So it winds up being six times five, so 30 triggers at 30 life apiece.
1: Bro, that's.
0: <laughs> so I got to like, just kill them nasty. both. And I, and I did say, I'm like, here's what I have. I can kick it and I can kill you guys. If you would like, I can just. Say I did that, and you guys can play it out and see what happens. And they're both like, "No, no, that's fine. You
1: just killed us." Um, I mean, I would like to see what happens in the Avenger of Zendikar off, but right, yeah. I'm also happy with the right of replication win because that card is really and it, man, the, it, the it definitely felt
0: like it was like a it felt like a undeserved win completely. But am I like, like you know? Hey, I'll take it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's really crazy stuff. All right, let's get into our main topic. We are examining trends between the old data, the data that we had accumulated from all time on EDHREC, versus the new data ever since we instigated a cutoff just to measure decks that have been put into databases online over the past two years. We wanted to put this into place just so that we could start measuring in case any of the you know old data that we had back when Commander was still you know becoming a thing, in case any of that was dragging down some. of the numbers and not really keeping up with the current commander zeitgeist, as it were. You know, in case we had a whole bunch of stuff about people playing certain cards that weren't as popular anymore, or commanders that are no longer in their heyday, things like that, we just wanted to try and measure any of those and keep the website a bit more current. So in this particular episode, we should be able to examine hopefully some of the following stuff here. First of all, we'll just talk about the total number of decks that we have in the database now. We'd also like to talk about the most popular commanders of all time and which had the biggest popularity jumps. We also want to talk about the most popular creatures of all time and any shifts in their popularity, plus any shifts in popular themes and popular tribes. Hopefully should be pretty enlightening. Let's get started with the total number of overall decks in the database and what things look like now. Matt, do you want to let us know what the numbers now look like when we're looking at the entire website as a whole?
2: Yes, so total in in all commander decks that we had before the cutoff, there were 363,613 decks. Now we are only measuring 237,867 decks. So in the transition, uh, in that that two-year cutoff, we lost about 125, 126,000 decks. Now that isn't to say we, we drew a hard line as only decks that were created within the past two years counts. This is, you know, you might have a deck that's five years old, but you've kept up with it. You've been curating it every set comes out you might change a card or two that's great those cards or those decks still count towards the overall deck count here what we did is we found all these decks that are you know older than two years old that haven't been changed in two years uh that that was what we tried to do is people that put a list online and it hasn't changed say you bought a pre-con you changed a couple cards those types of decks is what we were trying to get rid of that just hadn't really changed hasn't been kept up with that were kind of not corrupting the data, but skewing it a little bit. So nothing was really current. We want to look at the most current information we can, obviously giving time for it to cure a little bit, but we want to make sure that all the data we're looking at is relevant. And some of those decks that we cut off, those weren't relevant anymore. So we wanted to make sure the product we were putting forth and all the information was the best possible. And this was how we, we decided to execute it.
1: Right Great point to make there. If you're someone like Dana and you put your decks onto a deck building website back in the year 1900 or something, but you routinely <laughs> update them within the past couple of weeks. We're still pulling that because they've been tinkered with within the past two years. So data, excuse me, Dana, all of your decks are still getting data onto EDH rec. I, I hope that that is soothing for you to hear, even though you put them back on there about a century ago.
0: Uh, <laughs> back then, Joey, we had etched them onto stone tablets. I'll have you know.
2: I think what Joey's trying to say, actually, is all my decks that I don't update because I just don't (laughs) update my decks, those are all gone. (laughs) Dana's are perfectly well and good, though.
1: That's true, Matt. You are famously slow to, uh, to update any of those things. You, you definitely should so that we can draw that data because uh, it's, it's it's pretty funny. I, I'm still just flummoxed that you don't update your decks as frequently as Dana and I do, but to each their own for sure. Uh, guys, that shift in amount of decks is definitely a whole lot. 363,000 versus the new total, which is around 237,000. And obviously we're still getting more every day, but I mean, that is definitely a lot of stuff to lose and you know, that can definitely change the shift when you're cutting out a little bit over 100,000 decks.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're losing bulk data, but I think you're probably also losing more bad data than good data, I would guess. Just by virtue of the decks being unchanged, you're looking at probably abandoned decks or some decks that were like created as rough drafts or never finished, that kind of thing. So I think mm-hmm. you're definitely purging more more poor data than you are losing valuable
2: data. It's it's quality yeah. over quantity is is yeah, what Dave is sure. trying to say.
1: Yeah, and that's just it. What we're in the business of for this website is trying to provide the best. Quality recommendations on each of these commanders webpages rather than just saying here's as much information as we can find we would like it to be representative of what people are currently doing so let's move on now to the most popular commanders and shifts that we've seen there we're just looking at the top five commanders what they used to be before the cutoff and what they are now dana do you want to walk us through them
0: sure the top five old commanders with the previous data set we had number one is a track separator's voice Number two was Brea, Ethereum Shaper. Number three was Laurel Aegis Aesthetic. Number four was Marin of Clan Toth. And number five was Nekizar the Mindraiser.
1: Really and star-studded cast.
0: Yeah, and the new top five starts off very similarly. We have Atraxa's Praetor's Voice at number one as well. Then we have Edgar Markov. Uh, Marin moves up from the four slot to the three slot. We have Moldrotha the Gravetide. And, ba- and Brea drops down from the number two slot to the number five slot. So that's a, that's kind of a few interesting shifts there I think.
1: Yeah, definitely very cool to see that we've got some of the mainstays Atraxa and Breya and Marin all maintain in their top five status, but we've got some newcomers as well. The Edgar Markov Vampire Tribal has definitely proven to be very popular, as well as Moldrotha from Dominaria. We did lose out on Nicosar and Oloro. They both shifted down. They're obviously still very super popular commanders, uh, Nicosar and Oloro, but they just moved out of the top five contention. Um, why do you guys think that Edgar Markov and Moldrotha, you know, forced their way into the top five? I mean, I just don't know if when I saw them, I would have expected them to be this popular to make it into the top five. But now that we've cut off some of the old data, we're seeing that these are very current, very hip decks, as it as it were.
2: Well, I think we know um, what I think we know why Moldrotha went to number four, and that's because I predicted it.
1: Yeah, I mean clearly. <laughs> Yes, um, I know. I, you beat me at that bet, Matt. Please I, stop bringing it up. It really, really hurts my I, feelings. No.
0: I guess I have no way to, to know this for sure, but I feel like it's probably almost more of an issue of a laurel and Nekizar falling than it is those decks maybe surging in that in that interval. Mm. Aloro was a really linear deck. It was a pretty high commander on our assault scale, if I remember correctly, and I think Nekazar was too. So they're not commanders people like playing against necessarily, and they're also ones that maybe don't lend themselves to an interesting experience when you're the pilot. So
2: That's, I think they, yeah. they
0: were flashy early on, and they caught some attention and got a lot of decks built, and I would bet a lot of those decks had got abandoned for those reasons.
2: I, don't, I think you can make that argument against Edgar Markov too, which jumps out of nowhere to number sure. two. Uh, just having an Edgar Markov deck for so long, like it was fun, uh, but it, the, the games weren't exactly unique by any means. Uh, it, you played a lot of low cost vampires, and you know went on the aggro route. Um, I do but f-
0: Edgar's also a couple of years newer than Aloro and Nekizar, yeah. so they maybe hasn't had a chance to kind of experience that that boredom factor. Yeah. So maybe if we you know refresh the state in two years, we'll see Edgar has dropped off.
1: I think that might be... Yeah, that's 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 just it like instituting a shift with the two years that does mean that we're going to actually watch a phenomena that was a little bit more difficult to measure beforehand but I do think that we're reaching that point where people are indeed evolving their decks and shifting them away it used to be the case at least this was my experience uh, it used to be the case that we would build a deck and never change it but now we do actually have like we'll change one deck to another to another rather than just having you know a solid core of these there are still some maybe pet decks that we always like to keep but we are willing to be a bit more flexible with our commander decks and move them into new commanders as well. And I do think that that's something that we're able to illustrate now that we're doing that two-year cutoff on the website.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think you also get new things, like the other one that jumps out at me is Brea that dropped from number two to number five. Well, in that interval as well, we just got a new uh, couple red blue artifact commander so maybe people that were playing that brea deck and didn't like the four color mana base or just didn't like the fact that there Mm are a lot of brea decks out there maybe that turned into a saheeli deck or that turned into a brutaclad deck
1: oh that's a really good observation to point out as well the more of uh similar commanders i suppose that we get the more likely it is that some of these other famous commanders might be pushed a little bit farther down as they're able to diversify the options that's a really great observation i love it Let's also try and tackle some of the biggest jumps and the biggest drops among legendary creatures as well. Now, this is a little bit difficult to measure, but it's something that we definitely wanted to try and tackle as best we could. There were some jumps in popularity among legendary creatures, and we were able to see the commanders that had the biggest swings in popularity. So, of 639 commanders that were both old and new, we have these five that jumped a lot in popularity. They are Semut, Voice of Descent, the Naya commander... Hapatra, Vizier of Poisons, that's the Golgari Snake Maker, Ronus the Indomitable, Mono Green Guy, Naheb, the Worthy, Mono Red, and Kefnet the Mindful at Mono Blue. Each of those experienced a jump in rank of about 205, about 150 or so. They jumped up quite a lot. What do you guys notice about those jumps in popularity?
2: All right, well, you, you'll notice they're all from the Amonket block. Uh, I think just the, the, the cutoff period. Uh, probably was a good time for all these. I think if we would have done the the jump now, uh, it'd be all ixelon type uh, command, or legendaries, uh, experiencing the, experiencing the biggest jumps. So I think that just the timing on where they happened to be, they didn't have enough time at that two year mark because they were brand new. But now that two years has passed, uh, now they have a little bit of time for people to start playing them, like the the Ronus, the the, the Samut decks.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. and. That's a really great thing to harp on here. As much as I want to find out as much as I can about the data, we have to admit its biases, and this is one of them. Just based off of where we happened to draw the line, that's why we're seeing this as the biggest shift, because it falls in line with that two-year point around Alman Yeah,
0: that's the set that's got a full two-year data set, like Matt pointed out, and that's probably going to be a sliding thing where you'll see you know, it move into Ixalan, and then it move into the, the new... Um, uh, commanders in, um, in Ravnica or, or Dominari, then in Ravnica. And like, you probably just, that's going to constantly be shifting. I would guess based on kind of block and set.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's actually a good lesson for people to take away as well. When engaging with EDHREC, you can't just examine data through one lens. You have to constantly move that magnifying glass around and try out different lenses to try and find different things. So that's just another way to remind ourselves of that and to be constantly evaluating the scope that you're using to look at each of these different recommendations. Let's also move to talk about the biggest drops in popularity of the 639 eligible commanders, both old and new. And these is where, this is where we definitely notice some biases because the drops in popularity as measured by the site include Genju of the Realm, Tuk-Tuk the Explorer, Leovold, Emissary of Trest, Martin Stromgold, and Arayo Sorotami Ascendant. And keen listeners will note that three of the cards I just named are not legal in Commander.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm guessing Leovold and Arayu are both Drops based on those commanders getting the banhammer as commanders. And I would guess Genji the Realms is a situation where that was a deck, you know, somebody five or six years ago built as a, you know, kind of homebrew commander that their friends let them run. But as we've gotten more and more commanders, particularly four and five color ones in the last several years... Those have probably just been converted over into a four or five color commander that's illegal everywhere, and that's why that's that one's probably faded off as well. So that's that's the case for those three. I would I would guarantee.
1: Right, because we still had data from all of those things, and we even had Genji of the Realm as an unofficial tag yeah. on EDHREC itself. But now that we've actually you know stopped measuring all of the old data for those decks. Yeah, it would make sense why those would stop off. The others that we have on there that are legal, Tuk Tuk the Explorer, which is the red goblin guy who can die and create a 5-5 golem version of himself, and Martin Stromgald, who powers up creatures when he attacks. Those are interesting things to see among the biggest drops. Any particular inkling why those in particular might be the particular things that got particularly dropped?
2: I think just being mono red doesn't really help their their case for getting a lot of play as a commander. Um, there's other very good mono red options like Krenko, Perforos, yeah, or even just adding mm-hmm. another color. Uh, that I think that's one thing that people start to realize now that you know there there's more data now than there was two years ago, which is more than there was two years before that, etc. Um, so people are just having more information at their fingertips. They're more a little more enlightened that okay, well, Mono Red has these shortcomings. If I splash another color, I can shore up some of those weaknesses. And I think some people are just, they're doing that in general more often, not just, uh, you know, with Mono Red. You know, people may not play up any given color combination because they don't like having shortcomings.
0: Yeah, I, I would bet Krenko, for sure, that you mentioned, Matt, ate up a lot of those Tuk-Tuk and Martin Stromgall decks. Perforos as well, probably Zada, Hedron Grinder. I would guess those three commanders are what became of those Tuk Tuk decks and those Martin Stromgall decks, assuming they actually stuck around.
1: Oh, and probably Neheb as well. I mean, Neheb sure. exploded in popularity yeah. too. And again, mm-hmm. that's about where we're dropping this particular two-year cutoff point, And that leads back to Amonkhet. So yeah, it definitely makes sense why we would see those. And I'm sure that there are plenty of others that dropped, but we were just trying to look at the top five. And as it turns out, there's still a little bit of bias in looking at the biggest swings in popularity, just based off of the lens that we happen to use and the way that we happen to pull data. Because that maybe wasn't as enlightening as we were hoping, we also just wanted to comment on any shifts that we saw on specific pages for color identity. As people know, you can look on EDHREC to see all of the Mono White Commanders or all of the Azorius Commanders or all of the Soltai Commanders and things like that. And we wanted to see if there had been any dramatic shifts between the most popular commanders of a certain color identity. But when we were looking over them, I mean, I gotta say, there weren't too many shifts, to be honest. A lot of the commanders... Stayed basically where they were. Which
0: kind of makes sense if you think about it. The popular commanders probably stay popular, particularly in situations like you know a two-color guild or something where there's a good amount of options compared to particularly three or five colors. So if it was popular, it probably is going to stay popular. I would guess the big shifts are ones that happen down in like the three, four, five slots where it's like the third or fourth most popular commander and then maybe not that good probably those are the ones that really suffer when you get a new, you know, Tesa Karlov and Orzov, for example, or or a new um, Niv-Mizzet in, in that color pair where it's going to knock down the mediocre commanders whenever a new good one comes in.
1: Right. And yeah, just across the board, what we're seeing is that those main people up at the top are staying exactly there. You know, Brago is still the top dog in Azorius. Krenko is still the top in mono-red, Sram in mono-white. You know, Nicosar wasn't going anywhere in Grixis, that kind of thing. There were a small handful of changes that we were able to note about, you know, differences in popularity within color combinations. Notably, Prosh was bumped out of the number one spot by the new Lord Windgrace, the Jund Lands guy. Gishath is now number one in Naya instead of Mael or Marath, Will of the Wild. And Tesa Karlov bumped out Athreos. But again, these were things that were kind of already trending that way. Those commanders were naturally rising in popularity. And when we cut off a bit of old data, it sort of felt natural that those you know, would then become number one officially, but they were going to be heading that way anyway.
0: So in, in there, are all those three commanders, you just mentioned, Windgrace, um, Gishath, and Taysa Karlov. We did a whole show talking about Taysa Karlov. We, you know, talked quite a bit about Windgrace when that was released. Those are all three commanders that are genuinely interesting and, and exciting. And there were ones that had every, you know, people like us, our curiosity was piked. So I feel like that makes sense for, The other people out there had also been excited by those commanders and and kind of converted decks to them or built brand new decks. Did you say piked? I said piked instead of peaked. (laughs) As I said it, I was like, I just sound like a dummy. My
1: my curiosity is really piked by that comment there, Dana.
0: That's pretty funny. (laughs) It's a regional dialect, Joey. Don't make fun of my people.
1: I'll, I'll try not to. Uh, I think also what this kind of serves to do is to exaggerate, you know, the the difference and the distance between the commanders in the top spot and the other ones, as you mentioned, down in the three, four or five. You know, I'm sad now that Muldrotha, first of all, was becoming the most popular Soltai commander over my absolute baby, the Mimeoplasm. And I guess the two-year cutoff now sort of solidifies that the Mimeoplasm is nowhere close to being the top dog in Soultime. Muldrotha has like 2,500 decks and Mimeoplasm now has like 900, and there's just no way to bridge that difference. But, you know, I also think that this is going to be an inevitable trend. Yeah. If we cut off data that's more than two years old to keep up with the times and try and keep things as current as possible, the old commanders that are maybe a little harder to find or so, which people aren't building as often, they're inevitably going to drop off. That doesn't mean that people don't still have those decks, just that those commanders are not current in the commander zeitgeist, as it were.
0: Yeah. Well, if you go back in time to like when that Mimiplasm deck came out, what was the competition? Um, right. There, there was you know, a couple, there was the dragon, was it was it Teneb the Harvester? And um, I've been
1: Vorosh, the hunter, uh, Vrilish, sorry, the one that yep. gets plus one counters. I can't cover. Yep, you're
0: reply. correct. You're correct. Yep, it was Vorosh. Okay. You're correct. And you know there was like there's like three other commanders you're competing with. So if, if one is reasonably interesting, like Mimeoplasm was, well, that's going to be the default. Well, in the in the time since that's passed, we've gotten another handful of assault commanders that are many of which are pretty good and interesting and do curious things. Um, that's that changes the game entirely when there's competition.
2: Yeah, and, and you had said, Joey, you know, maybe these commanders are hard to get a hold of. I mean, Prosh, Myel, and, and Mereth, those are all pre-con commanders, and they've been fairly cheap for a long time. I don't think it's a matter of mm. of being accessible. I think it's just a matter of th- they maybe got solved, and people just want a new challenge. They want to explore, you know, what else does Jun do? And, and Lord Windgrace plays vastly different than Prosh. You know, Prosh was a little solved. People talk about how it's a combo commander you can play with. Perforos and, and just kind of combo people out or Mael is just big, dumb creatures. And so the, the, they're a little more linear. And just so now as Commander's gotten a little more figured out on Wizards of the Coast side, we have just more interesting Commanders. You know, Gishath, there's there's a lot of different things that you can do with with that big yeah. dinosaur compared to Mael. Uh, Marith is still pretty cool, but I mean, I think the design and just how they're creating Commanders in certain color combinations are pushing boundaries in a ways that they weren't really sure how to do back when, you know, Prosh was king of Jund.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Matt, you'd also made a really great observation before we started recording about the shifts that we see, you know, with this new data cutoff, not being as much in the command zone, but actually being somewhere else.
2: Yeah, I, I just think the 99s, we, we talk all the time about power creep in the, in the format and how everything's getting faster. I think the 99 is where all the flux is going to be coming from there's just so many different cards that are coming in and out of the format that are just powerful than the more powerful than some of them used to be i mean instead of shatter now we have uh, an improvement that's almost strictly better because it has dredge you can uh recur a little bit more in shenanigans uh, i mean there's just cards that are just almost strictly better in, in so many different ways so that all these cards that go in the 99 those are you know coming in and out and you don't have to play powerful cards you don't have to play cyclonic rift if you don't want to But you still can play, you know, Saram and Mono White because naturally that's just, I mean, it's very obvious that's one of the best commanders in Mono White. But all these these cool new things that are coming into the format now, I I think that's why the the 99 changes so much more than the commanders do.
1: I super agree with you, but... Because I know that you love it when people are pedantic and point out very small use cases. I do have to mention that Shatter is an instant and Shenanigans is a sorcery.
2: Okay, well, (laughs) nitpick away, sir.
1: But no, I I think that you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head when we're looking at the differences in the data. The stuff in the command zone is largely trending exactly the way that it was before. So the shifts that we'll see will actually be within the 99 rather than in the command zone. It just happened that we were looking at, you know, command zone shifts in the first place. And what we found is that there's not a whole lot that is different that wasn't already trending that way. So let's now try and examine a couple of things that are happening in the 99. We're going to move on to the most popular creatures of all time. And as a reminder, we don't want to just measure by the number of decks when we're looking at the in the 99, because You know, there's a lot of wonkiness that can come in there if we're just looking at numbers. A colorless creature that can go into any deck is sort of inevitably going to have greater numbers than a creature that has just one color and is therefore restricted in the number of decks that it can be into. So we want to look at them by percentage. We looked at the old top 10 most popular creatures. Dana, what are they?
0: The old top 10 most popular creatures. Number one, Solemn Simulacrum. Number two, Eternal Witness. Number three, Sakura Tribe Elder. Number four, Sun Titan. Number five, Acidic Slime. Number six, Burnished Heart. Number seven, Birds of Paradise. Number eight, Avenger of Zendikar. Number nine, Reclamation Sage. And number 10, Phyrexian Metamorph.
1: That's a lot of artifacts, and that is a lot of green. Yes, indeed. And a lot of utility stuff.
2: Yeah, I I, I think people are kind of wise to the fact that green is the best color.
1: (laughs) And Matt is not biased whatsoever. Not
2: one iota
1: <laughs> but has that shifted at all what is the new top 10 after we instigated the two-year data cutoff what are we looking at now in terms of most popular creatures
0: the the new list begins with the same three cards as the old list solemn so lacquer maternal witness and steve um but then <laughs> so Richard
1: elder oh, you call yes. him steve
0: yeah it's his nickname his <laughs> okay. friends his, his friends call him that you don't know him Sorry. that well <laughs> you don't want to be presumptuous, but it's okay if I
2: do. You're not on a nickname basis. <laughs>
0: right, right. you got to oh soft them up, take them to lunch, get to know them a little bit. <laughs> Number four would be Burnished Heart. Number five is Reclamation Sage. Number six, Sun Titan. And Burnished Heart, Rex Sage, and Sun Titan all shifted. Heart moved up two slots. Rex Sage moved up four spots. And Sun Titan moved down two spots. Then we have Acidic Slime, which moved down two spots. Lano or Elf, which is new to the list. Birds of Paradise at nine, which moved down two spots, and Elvish Mystic, which is also new to the list, at number 10.
2: People like their mana, man.
0: They like their mana dorks, for sure, and there's still a lot of green in there.
1: Yeah, there is. And that's actually what I'm noticing here. A bunch of the creatures that we're seeing that are most popular are indeed mana producing. We've got Solomons and Malacrum, and we've got Sakura Trebelder and Burnished Heart. Those were mainstays on the previous list, but now we also have Land of War Elves and Elvish Mystic in addition to Birds of Paradise. Weirdly, we also, from the previous, you know, top 10 most popular creatures, we lost Avenger of Zendikar and Phyrexian Metamorph, gaining the two mana elves. That's a pretty interesting pair of cards to lose from your top 10.
0: Yeah, I, I wonder how much of that is... Like, I'll, I'll give you an example from my personal experience. I have a Landfall deck, I'm mean in Den deck, and I'm no longer running Avenger of Zendikar in it. Not that it's not good, but like at some point I wanted to run something else and I'm looking at my list and I'm like, man, that 7-drop is a 7-drop and maybe that's an easy thing to pull out for testing purposes because it's 7-mana and it just never went back in the deck. So I, I think as curves have dropped, I wonder if Avenger maybe hasn't fallen victim to that for other people as well.
1: I don't know, man. I don't think that your exciting story at the beginning of the podcast would have happened without <laughs> all those Avenger of Zendikars I, getting I, copied.
0: I don't disagree. It's a really strong card. I just wonder if that's not like what the knee-jerk reaction is to people when they're looking to make a cut and they see it seven mana and that, you know, they're like, oh, I'll, I'll pull that. I just think that might be the part of the cause there, because there's no doubt it's still a really good card.
1: Yeah, very, very definitely still a good card. And again, we're just looking at the top 10. Like, Fritz and Metamorph and Avengers Endicard are still very popular creatures. They just happen to slip out of the top 10. And we got two Mana Dorks. That is what's very interesting to me. It sort of implies that we're getting a bit more speedy with the format, I guess.
2: Well, I think it's interesting because all three of us have kind of mentioned we're shifting away from mana dorks as our mana ramp and we're trying to get into more spells or artifacts uh, just because artifacts are a little bit harder than creatures to interact with so i i think it's interesting that we've had one observation but the the data at large proves otherwise actually
0: yeah it's definitely interesting um although i think you know who knows maybe we're, we're ahead of the curve or that could be a meta thing on our part as well we just happen to play in metas that tend to you know work that way um, you know, it's, it sucked. there's so many variables here, it's really tough to predict. I will say this, one of the things that's worth noting, Llanowar Elves was not a card that was in Standard for quite a few years, and we just did get it back recently. So there's a few things there, like we haven't seen Birds of Paradise for a long time. I wonder if that's partly responsible for that shift. It's also gotten kind of pricey. Sun Titans drifted up in price. So there's, there's also a lot of variables like that, that, you know, who knows what combination of those things have affected these stats.
1: And also, I do feel it's important to note we're just taking a snapshot of data here that we, you know, happened to to draw on this particular day. But, I mean, frankly, even by the time that the show comes out, that could be different. There are a bunch of other cards that are also hovering at very high popularity. I know that Coiling Oracle and Wood Elves and Gisela and Deathrite Shaman have also been up there at around 18% of all eligible decks popularity on the top creatures page. So, like, on any given day, this could also shift around a bit. So that's something that we should keep in mind when trying to examine this closely, is that it's not indicative of something necessarily. It could sometimes be that you just... Happened to get on the scale at this time and your weight has shifted about two pounds today just as a result of your body being your body. That kind of thing.
2: I did have a big meal last night, so I'm going to shift a little bit from day to day. I get it. I get it.
1: (laughs) All right. What I'm going to do is stop making metaphors of any kind because then Matt makes weird comments like that. I think that's the lesson to take away. You're talking
2: about my favorite thing, which is food. So I I just naturally (laughs) just want to let you know I had biscuits and gravy. It was delicious. Thanks for asking. (laughs)
1: okay (laughs) let's move on now from most popular creatures to looking at some tribes we've seen a couple of strange shifts here in tribes but also a lot of it has stayed pretty uniform as well so we could measure the previous top 10 most popular tribes and they were as follows number one was zombies number two dragons number three elves four goblins number five vampires number six was slivers number seven Wizards, number eight, angels, nine, eldrazi, and ten was allies. But then, after the two year cutoff, things shifted around just a little bit. So, when looking at the data now, we can see that zombies and dragons have maintained their popularity in the number one and two slots. Number three is now vampires, which means that it moved up two spots. Number four is now elves, which means that it moved down one spot. Wizards and goblins are up next in five and six. Wizards moved up two. Goblins moved down two. Slivers is at number seven, moved down one spot. And then it's not until number eight that we finally get a new entry into the most popular tribes. That's dinosaurs at number eight. Number nine, we have angels, which means that they just moved down one spot. And then number 10 is also a new tribe as an entry to the top 10 list. And that is cats. Cats are a little bit new. Cats are also probably on everyone's mind because of a really awkward trailer that came out recently. But hey, cats are also in the most <laughs> popular tribes now.
2: Joey, the theater purist. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but no, so I- it's just—it's it, interesting to see a lot of it has sort of just shifted around, and we've got very few new entrants to the n- most popular tribes after that two-year data cutoff.
2: Well, the, the two new tribes—you can directly point at you know specific sets that focused on them. You know, we had all of Ixalan right. block that was all about dinosaurs. And then the, we had a whole pre-con about cats. So it's not surprising that those are the two new ones. And, and then vampires going up so much, we can also directly attribute that to, you know, Edgar Markov being one of the most popular commanders of all time.
0: Yeah, those the top three tribes are ones that have continued to get support. You know, zombies, we had Scarif God. We had um, uh, the, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of the, the one who was in Esper Colors. Varina. Um, Varina. Um, you know, uh, not many years ago, we got the Sultai version of Sidisi that plays very nicely with zombies. Um, and Joralf plays very nicely with zombies. So it's a continuous support there. Same with dragons. We had an entire dragon tribal deck. We had an entire vampire tribal deck, as well as a ton of support in Ixalan block. So those are three tribes that have gotten a lot of support over the last several years. Versus elves, we get elves in every set, but we haven't got a commander that necessarily cares about elves so that's probably why that one has dropped, kind of fighting against the other ones that have gotten additional support.
1: Right. One of the most popular tribes that we're seeing is Slivers. And according to this, it moved down one spot. But hey, we hadn't gotten a new Sliver in right. quite yep. a while. Well, we just did now. And it hasn't had too much time to mature on track. But over time, we could easily see if the first Sliver becomes popular, that the Sliver tribe also moves up in the same way that you just mentioned with some of those other tribes who've got really good representatives in the command zone. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I mean, wizards went up, and we had some things that care about wizards, both in the the uh, Grixis deck that had casts in it, and Dominaria had some wizard support, whereas, you know, goblins dropped, and we, we didn't have anything that specifically cares about goblins. Much like elves, we get goblins, but nothing that really cared about them. Um, same thing with angels, to a degree. There hasn't been an angel tribal command or anything that came out either, although we do get good angels all the time, so... Almost every one of those in the new tribe list, if you're looking at why it went up or down, there's a logical reason for it just based on how much support and new cards that care about the tribes we've gotten in the last couple of years.
1: And same with where we cut the data off, sort of like Matt was mentioning with, oh, it's not surprising to see, you know, the Almonkhet stuff that became very popular with the new commanders when we were looking at the most popular uh, commanders there in any jumps that we saw. Uh, We can also kind of measure around that cutoff, too, why we would have lost tribes from the original top 10 back from the data when we were measuring it of all time. We lost Eldrazi and allies, which were both obviously very popular in Battle for Zendikar block. And we just haven't gotten anything new for them the way that we have for some of these other tribes that are getting a lot more presence.
0: They didn't even have the advantage of like goblins and elves where there's routinely just good goblins and just good elves printed. They've had, you know, there's been no new Eldrazi or allies that have added to the mix since Shadows um, over Innistrad for Eldrazi and basically that that battle for Zenekar block for allies.
1: Yeah, exactly. Let's move now to our final section for this particular show, and that is the themes. Not just the tribes like goblins and elves, but also different themes that people can build their deck around, such as graveyards or tokens or artifacts, things like that. Matt, do you want to walk us through what the old themes were and their top
2: ten? I sure can. So coming in, number one is artifacts, a very easy theme to build around. Number two, plus one, plus one counters. Number three is Life Gain. Number four, Wheel Effects. That is Wheel of Fortune, where you discard and draw cards. Number five is Tokens. Number six is Aristocrats. Seven is Equipment. Eight is Auras. Nine is the Graveyard. And ten is Sacrifice Decks. So moving on to the current themes from the old ones, we have number one still is Artifacts. Number two, Life Gain moves up one spot to number two. In third place, Wheels moves up one spot fourth place plus one plus one counters moves down two spots number five moving up two spots is equipment number six still is aristocrats decks number seven moving down two spots is tokens number eight moving up two spots is sacrifice decks moving down one spot is auras at number nine and up to ten a brand new one is lands coming in to finish off the list
1: yeah basically the same top nine but in a slightly different order. We lost Graveyard, which, let's be real, is frankly kind of similar to the Sacrifice or Aristocrats-ish type of themes as well. And we gained Lands. This is a pretty common theme that we're seeing when we're measuring all of this old data, you know, old tribes or the most popular top 10 creatures. We're seeing that the top seven or the top nine of these stays the same. And then we get a couple of new entrants near the bottom of the list. In this case, Lands.
0: Yeah, and and if you look at the number one um, theme in both categories is artifacts you know talking about things that have had a recent support like we did for tribes well you know Ixalan block is or excuse me Kaladesh block is just a couple of years back that had heavy artifact support as well as some commanders that cared about artifacts we got Breya who we mentioned a couple of years ago that is very artifact heavy and we mentioned the competition for Breya in the Sahili deck last year that was very artifact heavy so it's a theme that's had continuous support. To bring both new decks in and to keep old decks refreshed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, speaking of like some of that stuff that is a bit more current, I guess I'm not surprised whatsoever that lands would now eke its way into the top ten <laughs> themes because of things like Wind Grace, which are of course are going to be a bit more popular. You know, we saw that when Lord Windgrace moved into Prash's old spot as the number one Jund commander. So it's really not surprising to me to see that that one is now making its way into the top 10 list proper. Yeah, Windgrace alone may have been enough to drag lands into the top 10. Well, and that's what's so fascinating. Sometimes a single commander can be what makes or breaks an entire theme. Obviously, that's not the case with artifacts. They have a directly commanding lead. But yeah, a different thing like a single equipment commander can sometimes drag the entire category up on its own. And the same is true of lands. The farther down that we get on the list, the more likely a single commander's popularity can influence things in one direction or another. I think that's a great observation.
0: In, in in to be fair, some of these categories can probably shift a little bit too, Joey. You mentioned graveyard and sacrifice. You know, it probably doesn't take many changes to your Marin deck to have it go from being a graveyard deck categorically to being a sacrifice deck, for example. So some of that may be some shifting as well. If you just make a couple card swap, then how the statistics read that deck may change. So, you know, some of that stuff is a little bit fluid.
1: Well, and that's a great point too. Like we have graveyard and aristocrats and sacrifice and tokens. Like those are all different themes, but some of those do have a whole lot of overlap. You know, aristocrats decks will frequently have a bunch of tokens in them. And aristocrats decks are also going to sacrifice a lot of things. We have to draw some type of lines to try and measure decks to give good categories to those to make them, you know, feel correct to show that, yeah, this is, you know, the type of stuff that you usually see in a deck that themes itself this way. But yeah, there's also some overlap here that could crowd the top 10 lines. List, that definitely makes sense as well. Alrighty, really interesting stuff. But as a reminder, this was just probably the part one. We're nearing up on an hour of recording or so, and we don't want to take, you know, two or three hours for this one episode. We've got a lot of different data reports. So if we didn't touch on one particular topic, hopefully it's because we're actually going to be tackling it on our next episode. We've also got reports for things like the average number of colors in a deck, and if there have been any changes there in color distribution, changes in guild popularity, or changes in card type distribution, things like that, that we will get to, but on a future episode. For now, we've got to get to wrapping up this show, which means it's time to challenge some statistics. There's a lot of statistics here on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with all of them. Sometimes we think that cards are seeing too much play. Sometimes we think they're seeing too little play. So we'd like to challenge those stats now. Matt, what is your challenge to stats?
2: My Challenge of Stats, it's a card that also impressed me this weekend. Now, I already mentioned two mono-red cards, Aria Flame and Shenanigans. Both of those, I I think, are seeing too little play. And granted, Modern Horizons hasn't been out very long. There's only 166 decks for Aria Flame, 177 for Shenanigans. I think they do a lot of very good things. But one, in my Kaikar deck especially, I was very impressed with. And it's not currently showing up on the list at all for Kaikar, but it is Fists of Flame. Uh, It's currently only in 336 decks total, but not showing up on really any new commanders at all. Uh, But Fist of Flame is an instant that reads, one in a red, draw a card until end of turn, target creature gains trample and gets plus one, plus oh for each card you've drawn this turn. So this enabled me to basically one-shot somebody, because I played a bunch of cantrips, uh, I, I made a bunch of spirits, sacked them for mana, drew some more cards, and then I played Fists of Flame, and Hit somebody just once with Kai'kar to finish them off. This card is so crazy, and even if it's just a, a low, you know, target creature gets you know plus three plus zero. That's still a pretty good chunk. Plus, it draws a card, replaces itself. I was very very impressed with it in Kai'kar. I think any spell slinger, lots of cantrips style deck would benefit from this, and it's not showing up in a whole lot of decks quite yet.
1: I love this pick. You mentioned that it's not showing up in a whole lot. There have only been, I think, 19, maybe 20 decks uh, with Kaikar as the commander that have been built and added to the website ever since Fists of Flame and Modern Horizons became a thing. But of those 20 decks, only 4% so far are running Fists of Flame. I totally agree with you here. Fist of Flame has super impressed me in my Feather deck, and I think it will do just as much work in Kaikar as well, because that cantrip is cool, and that pump effect is very unique.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm going to try it out in my Niv-Mizzet deck even, just because I know usually I'm not turning Niv-Mizzet sideways, but this is a good way. It's just a, a backup plan. Maybe somebody makes themselves Hexproof or something like that. Just cast some spells, draw a bunch of cards, and then do this for Fist of Flame. Uh, I mean, it's probably not going to be that hard. Probably easier, actually, in Niv-Mizzet to just do 21 commander damage in in one swing.
1: Yeah, this is one of those cards that I hope that people have been adding to their decks, but they just haven't updated them online, so we haven't been able to scrape that data. Because I do think that this deserves a lot more respect than it's getting, especially if you are in the business of doing anything kind of wheelie, especially like you mentioned with Niv-Mizzet. You know, you play a Windfall, you play a Wheel of Fortune, you play a Fist of Flame, and then suddenly you're doming someone with like your commander for an extra 14 or 15 damage that they didn't see coming. It is super surprising and super, super crazy. Yes. I love it. Dana, what's your challenge?
0: My challenge of stats is a card that was recommended to me on architect um, for my Talrand deck, and I've been running it for a couple weeks and I've cast it three different times. The card is a retraced image. It is a one-mana blue sorcery that says reveal a card in your hand then put that card into play if it has the same name as a permanent in play. So it's in 105 oh. decks total on EDH rec. And in a Talran deck, or, or in any mono blue deck, but I think Talran works best, it basically lets you put an island into play, since that island in your hand will match the name of another island in play. Um, so it's a way to ramp, basically, and makes you a drake for one mana in mono blue. I've cast it three times, I think, and all three times it's felt like a great use of one single blue mana. I draw a lot of cards in that deck. I think Taloran decks tend to in general, so I tend to have multiple lands in hand. I get a lot of good use out a Terrain Generator anyway, so why not make a Drake while I'm ramping out a land as well? It's been fantastic, and I think it should be in more than 105 total decks. It definitely should be
1: in more than the six Taloran decks it's in it's only in 6 oof yep. yeah that's that's low the more that i think about it the more i super agree with this it's a very strange card uh, but i like that and i especially like your observation about how you tend to have a lot of cards in your hand in a talrand deck a criticism against you know the type of ramp that would just put a land from your hand into play is that later on in the game while you're maybe less likely to have any extra lands. It's easier to just use the rampant growth type effects that fetch them from your library because then it doesn't matter if you've got cards in your hand. But in Tal you said you've got a bunch of cards in your hand, so that's not usually an issue that you have to mitigate for.
0: Right, and if I was playing you know, Simic or something, I still would probably just run the normal ramp type spells for sure. But in mono blue, beggars can't be choosers. There's only a few different ways <laughs> that you can actually ramp and it's a really efficient way to do it in that color.
1: Right, and to get the spell trigger for it. That's yeah. a really cool one. Very weird and old find, which is exactly what I'd expect from you, Dana. But I really appreciate it nonetheless.
0: It is, <laughs> and a, and very, it it is a very me, Dana card. And it was recommended to me by the user Who's Crazy on Architect in my Talren deck. So I tried it out and have been just delighted with it since
1: then. So thank you very much, Who's Crazy. Who's crazy? Dana's crazy. Exactly. All right, I'm going to move on to my challenge now. I'm, I feel as though I need to qualify. Dana, I do love and respect you. I'm sorry for the age dig. It's just that you guys make age <laughs> jokes about me all the time. Okay, now that my conscience is clear, I can move on to my challenge stats. Um, I am looking at a card that also, I think, is really great in monocolored decks, but I have a problem with it showing up in non mono decks. This card is Emeria, the Sky Ruin. Emeria the Sky Ruin is a land that enters the battlefield tapped, and at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control 7 or more planes, you may return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield, and of course it taps for a white mana. This is a crazy cool card, and if you're running it in a mono-white deck, keep doing that. I think that's perfect. That's exactly what you should be doing. But here's my problem. People are running Amiria the Skyruin in non-mono-white decks, and that's where I start to take umbrage with it. Right now, I'm looking at the page for Gisela Blade of Gold Knight, the Boros Commander, the 7-mana Angel Lady. of the 457 Gisela decks are playing Emeria the Sky Ruin and I just can't wrap my head around it. Amiria the Sky Ruin is already difficult enough to trigger in a mono-white deck because you need seven planes to actually get it to go, and you frequently have other utility lands in that deck, things like Secluded Step or maybe a Rogue's Passage, stuff like that. So it's already kind of a high bar to have seven other lands in play that all are planes to trigger the Emeria in a mono-white deck, but it's still really good when you can. But in a two-color deck, you're just never gonna get there. So I think that people should stop putting it into the two-color decks when you... I just, I, I, I just don't get it. I, I think that that's wrong. 25% in a two-color deck for a card that clearly begs to be monocolor, uh-uh, that should be 0%. Only run this in your monocolor decks, guys.
0: Yeah, that seems like a recipe for disaster in a, in a two-color deck or more. I, I I wouldn't even attempt to try it.
1: And and here's another one, like 10% of Feather decks so far are running Emeria the Sky Ruin. There's 1,000 Feather decks, which means 10%. There's about 100 folks who are playing Emeria in their Feather deck. Feather is one of those commanders that has maybe three or four other creatures in her deck. I just don't think that it belongs there. I think that the tempo loss that you're getting there and the fact that it doesn't fix your colors when you're in a two-color deck is just going to be a lot more damage than it's worth. I just don't think that you're going to get that seven or more planes help, like, especially because there's very few cards like uh, Sacred Foundry that can help out being multiple card types, being multiple land types, a plains and a mountain, for example. So I just think that people should focus a bit more on the monocolor for a card like Emeria and don't put it into the two-color decks. Even though it's a really cool effect, it's just so much more difficult to actually proc.
2: Yeah. I, yeah. Think, I, I don't hate it in two-color decks because it's still fairly feasible. It's, I agree. It's much, much less reliable. Um, but I have seen people play it in three color decks, and that's where I definitely get on, on board with your arguments.
0: I mean, I've sometimes had problems with it in a in a mono-white deck. There's been instances before where you know I've I've drawn it or something and looked down and I'm like, oh, I have four planes in play and three utility lands. I'm still four turns
1: away from having enough planes to use this. Exactly. In a mono-white deck, you can expect to have maybe you know, somewhere between 22 or maybe even up to 30, uh, natural planes in the deck. But in a two color deck, you're going to have to make a whole bunch of room for the dual lands and for the other type of basic lands, even assuming that you have a high density of planes because the deck is skewed towards white, you're still probably not going to have room for more than 10, 11, maybe 12 optimistically for that number of planes within the deck. It depends on what your fixing is and what utility lands you're using, but I just feel like it's way too low a probability to actually get those particular cards onto the battlefield along with ameria compared to just a regular. Even a Guild Gate could help you out a bit more in that instance. I, I think that it's a cool effect that people are really drawn to to make work, but I just don't think that it's feasible in two colors. So that's why it's my challenge. That's fair. I, I I'm with you, Joey. <laughs> we are united against Matt. Okay. Any other last-minute stuff that we want to touch on about the two-year data cutoff so far before we wrap up the show officially?
0: Um, No, I think we've touched on a lot of the stuff. I think it's really fascinating to look at and just try to think about what the reasoning is for some of the shifts.
2: Yep, and just an extra reminder for everybody, this is not the only episode that we're going to have to cover all these updates. There's, There's so much information. We could have a series almost on all the changes and all the observations that we can draw from it. It's taken us a little bit of time just to get this far. So I'm sure there'll be beyond our next episode, more episodes in the pipeline, just of us trying to just glean all sorts of information uh, that is applicable to everyone on all the changes in the data.
1: Um, Matt, I think it's, I think it's pipeline
2: pipeline. Excuse me. (laughs)
1: Was your interest piked? Oh my goodness. On that note, we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts so much for joining me, and if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all?
2: Matt? You can find me at Goblin Peaker on the Twitters. <laughs> <laughs> um, or at Mathemus55 M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5
0: And Dana? You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach, and you can hear me twice a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central.
1: And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDHREC and the podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Plus, you can find us on iTunes, and if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast as well. This cast is posted every week on EDH Rec's Community Content Spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every Every day, by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember EDH Wreck Your Deck before you wreck your deck. I'm sorry, Ken.
2: Oh. Again. I'm sorry that Joey wouldn't let the usurp happen. Usurption? <laughs> <laughs> it's like inception with power.
1: <laughs> from, <laughs> from visionary <laughs> director Christopher Nolan <laughs> the mind who brought you Inception comes a brand new thrilling <laughs> full length feature film Usurption
2: It's gonna get Leo his second Oscar
1: smash cut to me Matt that's not a word yes it is If it's a word in the dream it's a word for real you can't make me <laughs>
2: Uh What's up dog? How <laughs> much for up with you? Come coming to uh Oh, you too, Dana.